And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. We've been off for a few weeks during the congressional recess, but we are back, as is Congress, and their primary order of business this month in September is to avoid a partial government shutdown. Federal funding expires at the end of this fiscal year, which is September 30, so they need some kind of stopgap funding measure, which, as is usual, is looking increasingly like a heavy lift with a lot of complicating factors to get this thing passed in time. And so we want to review all of these complications and what it means and how they're going to get this done this month. Joining me to do that is Lindsay McPherson, who covers the politics of appropriations and budget for CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here again, Lindsay. Thanks for having me, David. And Aiden Quigley, our budget and appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again for being here, Aiden. Thanks for having me. So here we are, another September, another stopgap funding measure is needed. We don't have it yet, but the White House has submitted a request that's already complicated what is supposed to be a simple measure, just extending current funding levels into the new fiscal year. But the White House has already come up with a request for something like $47 billion in new emergency funding. That's to cover COVID-19 vaccines and to cover monkeypox and to cover more aid for Ukraine. A lot more money on the table. And that's not all going to sit well with Republicans. Lindsay and Aiden, you've both reported on this. How tough is that? How much, how much resistance are we expecting to see from Republicans on it? Yeah, so, you know, we're really seeing a fair amount of pushback from Republicans. You know, the final number this year will almost definitely not be close to the $47 billion that President Biden is looking for. Um, particularly because Republicans have opposed more funding for covid there have been multiple attempts over the past year to, to get more funding, and they have been unsuccessful. What we could see, though, is more funding for Ukraine. The White House asked for just under $14 billion, and Republicans are definitely more open to Ukraine money, though exactly how much uh, they definitely want to take a look at, and, and we'll see. But you know, there'll definitely be some negotiations that we'll be following closely as we move farther into September. Yeah, I was just going to say with all the categories on the supplemental, what Republicans are saying, and this they said this throughout the year on the COVID aid request, is they need a better accounting from the administration in terms of what has already been spent on these areas and why they need additional money. And particularly on COVID-19, they had got a, really frustrated when the administration kept asking for funding and they didn't give it, but the administration ultimately was able to find money to reprogram toward the purchase of vaccines and therapeutics and testing. And they're, they kind of feel like there's a big mistrust now, you know, and what the administration is telling them in terms of need and what they actually need since they were able to find that money to reprogram. And so they feel like unless the administration can make a really strong case as to why they need this money, they're unlikely, certainly on COVID-19, unlikely to prove it. Um, even with monkeypox, I think that they, they think that $4 billion-ish that, that Biden requested is too big. Um, and similar with Ukraine, it's how much has already been spent and what what are you is the need for the money you're asking for? Is it going to go to where it's going to be most helpful? They'll probably come to at least some agreement on Ukraine, but the others are a little more uncertain. Um, and then disaster relief is kind of always a little bit of a 
more of a regional issue. You know, the people in the states where the disasters are, Kentucky, you know, had some major flooding this year. And um, minority leader Mitch McConnell might be wanting to make a case for that. He hasn't really spoken about it publicly yet. Um, so there's potential to negotiate on that because there are some Republican constituencies affected by the disasters. Um, but it it is a long way to go. And like Aiden said, it's not going to be close to what the White House requested if they can agree to anything. Yeah, Biden had requested like six and a half billion dollars in disaster relief. And you'd think there'd be some appeal for that, including from Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, because of all the flooding he's had in his home state of Kentucky. So that's one issue. On the on the COVID aid, boy, that's always been a, an increasing battle. We should remind folks that that you know the Biden last March proposed roughly the same amount of over twenty two billion dollars for COVID aid, and it ended up going nowhere. Right? It's been sitting since then, and so they're basically just re upping that request in this package. They still want over $22 billion. They say they need for COVID vaccines and therapeutics and treatments, testing, and to prepare for the new any new variant of COVID that comes along so they're not caught flat-footed. And Republicans just aren't buying it. There, there seems to be deep skepticism there that they really need more money, I guess partly because they know there's so much money still unspent in previous pandemic aid packages, right? That's the main thing is they say, why can't they just reprogram existing money instead of making us appropriate even more? Do I have that yeah, about right? Yeah, you summed it up pretty well. And if anything, they're the losing support for more COVID funding. Uh, as Mitt Romney, uh, last time around, was leading negotiations for Republicans, and he... Uh, has spoken, has said that he has felt uh, pretty barred by the White House and that he'd been told that there's this, you know, need for it. And, uh, you know, they were able to find this money elsewhere. So it's definitely looking dubious from our COVID money. And another argument that Senator Roy Blunt, who's a the top appropriator for um, to oversee the Health and Human Services Department and this funding said is that, you know, at this point with the vaccines being fully approved by the FDA, the government shouldn't have to bear the sole cost anymore. You know, when it was the vaccines were under emergency approval, it, you know, it made sense for the government to be shouldering funding because insurers couldn't cover the vaccines under emergency authority. But now that they're fully approved that, you know, insurers and the private sector should be paying for this as well, especially if we're going to be getting vaccinated for COVID every year, like we do the flu. So, um, that's another thing Republicans are considering is how much at this point in the pandemic should the government bear the burden of these costs. So that's an interesting debate, too. So you've got that. Now, you'd think there'd be broader bipartisan support for the Ukraine aid, because that really has been a bipartisan issue ever since Russia first invaded Ukraine in February. So what's the hang up there? You know, I'm not really sure if there is a major hang-up that I can see at, at this point. I mean, Republicans are calling for as clean of a CR as possible. Um, so if they really lean into that, maybe they will say, let's do Ukraine separately. But uh, kind of, you know, not fully across the board for Republicans, but definitely most Republicans support, you know, Ukraine and, and providing funding. I think they just want to see with the numbers and, and have some time to dig into the request before they definitely give a thumbs up. But, um, 
you know, of all of the requests from the administration, Ukraine definitely has the most most support. Right. I think it's kind of what Aiden says about the ideological consistency of calling for a clean CR and what that means and the 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 demands for a full accounting of these requests and just kind of trying to be consistent across the categories so that Democrats call, can't call them hypocrites, you know, and be like, well, you guys aren't, aren't asking these questions on Ukraine funding, but you are on like COVID and monkey pops. So I, at the end of the day, I do think they'll agree to some money for Ukraine, but um, whether it's on the CR or comes later in the omnibus, you know, it depends is the administration really going to run out of the existing funding and draw that all down before December? Um, I think that those are questions that still need to be answered. All right. So there's all this emergency spending that the White House wants, and they're still chewing over that stuff. But meanwhile, there's there's what may be an even bigger obstacle here to swift passage of a stopgap funding measure which is this this effort to overhaul federal permitting rules for energy projects, for infrastructure, that is all about Joe Manchin, the West Virginia senator, right, who was promised, who was promised to vote this month on a permitting overhaul as a condition for him supporting the Democrats' big success last month in passing their climate change healthcare tax package that used to be called Build Back Better now called Inflation Reduction Act. As a condition of his support for that, he was assured this vote on a permitting overhaul. And the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, said he wants it to be part of this stopgap funding measure. And so they're all tied together now. And we saw a big pushback to this permitting effort. This is an effort to speed up permitting, to streamline it. And, you know, specifically, you can tell it was it was clearly designed for Joe Manchin because specifically in this permitting measure, which we don't have text yet, but according to the summary, it explicitly calls for completing the Mountain Valley Pipeline, right? That's this pipeline from Manchin's home state of West Virginia going into Virginia. I think it's the only specific project named in that summary, which shows you what this is geared for. It's to win Joe Manchin's support. And we saw a huge... A huge Bernie Sanders, the Senate budget chairman, just coming out swinging Thursday on the Senate floor against this thing, saying it's a big giveaway to big oil and gas companies. And we have seen an uprising from House progressives, too, on this thing. The big question then is how much could that derail this stopgap if it has to be in it? Is there enough opposition to it or is it just sort of Bernie Sanders- flailing in the wind kind of going solo here on a crusade as he sometimes does. Well, certainly the progressive opposition in the House is much larger than, you know, Bernie flailing in the wind, and that is significant. But I think what it really comes down to in both chambers is are Republicans going to support this deal? Because Republicans in general support streamlining the permitting process as well, particularly for energy and fossil fuel projects. I think the issue here is that, again, we haven't seen the text, is this is also supposed to speed up clean energy projects for solar, wind, and, um, you know, more renewable energy resources as well. So is this something Republicans can get on board so far? You know, they've all, a lot of them are just kind of like, we'll wait and see what it says. But some of them are also just opposed to it, you know, on political principle, Lindsey Graham, you know, the Senate budget 
uh, ranking member had said back in August, and I confirmed with him this week, he's still planning to oppose it because he didn't like the fact that it was made as a side deal to get Manchin support for the reconciliation package. Um, and, you know, he's like, there's nothing in it for me. So why would I support it? And he he's thinks other Republicans will also oppose it. But he said, you know, only time will tell. So I think it really depends on the text and whether Republicans like that. But so far, they've expressed some skepticism because of the political deal aspect of it that was it's made as a part of this separate climate tax and spend package that they universally oppose. So um, I think if there were enough Republican votes, though, to offset the progressives, then it wouldn't be a problem. So but I think the Republicans are kind of more to watch. But also, you know, at the end of the day, if the leadership is committed to including this in the CR, which so far they say they are to fulfill their promise to Manchin, I think they can lean on their members and some of those progressives that are currently threatening to vote no will ultimately vote yes. They're not going to shut down the government over this permitting bill or ultimately leadership could take it out and promise Joe Manchin a separate vote. But that, you know, how that goes, I don't know. He, his influence on, you know, leverage is already gone. They passed the climate tax and health bill. So a lot of questions on this one, but uh, I think a lot of those won't be answered until we see the text. But I mean, Sanders did say there were 59, I believe he said there were 59 House Democrats, progressives, who opposed this permitting measure. Right. Well, who are signing a letter saying they don't want it in the CR. I think that's a little different than like guaranteed no votes, you know, like okay. a lot of people okay. sign letters for things. And right. Then, but it does like, suggest, I mean, it does suggest there's little wiggle room here. I mean, it, depending on how adamant their opposition to it is, um, it, it could be a tough thing, right? If, if, if you've got Republicans reluctant to back it and you've got 59 progressives reluctant to back it, signal some kind of problem there potentially, right? Yeah, definitely. There's a potential problem. Like I said, it, you know, it depends what the leadership decides to push, you know, are they, if they push their members on this, their members aren't going to shut down the government. I don't, it, it really, I think a lot of it depends on leadership and a lot of it depends on, are there Republican votes to offset the democratic defections? Cause there will be some, will it be 59? I don't know about that, but Um, especially if they were to get like Ukraine funding in here, you know, are people going to vote against the Ukraine funding because they oppose this permitting deal? How does that look? You know, that doesn't look good. So there are a lot of considerations here. Leadership, obviously in making this commitment knew there would be progressives opposed to this, but they still made the commitment. So obviously they think there's a path to getting it done. Otherwise they wouldn't have told Joe Manchin they could do this. Okay. And then we should say there's another potential uh, wrinkle to this stopgap, unlikely but potential, which is Schumer does want to vote this month on this measure to codify same-sex marriage stemming from the Supreme Court decision on the abortion case. And he, he they want to pass it as separate legislation, but he has not ruled out attaching it to this stopgap measure if needed. How is that looking, and and do we think that could complicate this this stopgap even more? Yeah, so we we had heard earlier in the week that um, you know Democrats were considering putting this on the CR. Um, as the week progressed, it kind of became more clear that the will of both Democratic leadership and the Democrat and Republican uh, senators who are leading this effort, uh, who are 
uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin and Senator Susan Collins um, want this all done as a separate measure if possible. Um, so it's definitely looking less likely that this vote would be part of the CR, but obviously things can things can change. But at this point, uh, you know, Democratic leadership definitely wants a standalone vote on this issue. And to pass that marriage measure, they, you know, assuming all Democrats are on board with it, they need at least 10 Republicans to avoid a filibuster. They've been, they don't have 10 Republicans yet. They're, they're trying to get there. I'm not sure if they put, does it make it easier or harder to get 10 Republicans if it's part of the stopgap funding or not? Lindsay, any thoughts on that? I think it potentially makes it harder because. Harder if it's on the stopgap? Right, because they're one, a lot of Republicans inherently just oppose spending bills or CRs. You know, a lot of them don't like CRs for defense funding. And so a lot of Republicans just vote against CRs because of that, particularly if their votes aren't needed to pass it. Then there's also the fact that if there are progressives like Bernie Sanders who are going to vote against the CR, then you, you know, still need you would need Bernie Sanders vote and ideal award for the same sex marriage bill. But if you put it on the CR and you don't have it because of the permitting bill, then you need one more Republican. And for every similar thing, if there's a progressive that's going to vote against the CR because of permitting or something they didn't like, then um, you would need more Republicans. It, it just gets a little complicated with a math equation where, you know, putting it up as a standalone allows people to vote on their merits. It also gives them an opportunity to vote on amendments. And I think that's a, one of the main reasons they want to do as a standalone is there are some Republicans suggesting they might be willing to vote for it if they get some religious liberty amendments. Um, so may, having those votes on amendments to the same-sex marriage might be crucial to getting the 10 Republican votes ultimately needed. Um, so to do it as a standalone might make sense for that reason as well. All right. So we'll have to watch that, whether these two measures get combined or not. And we should say that the current thinking here is that this stopgap will extend current funding into mid-December. December 16 seems to be the date they have in mind. You both have been talking to Senate Republicans this week in terms of whether they're, they would go along with that. Where are they on this? I mean, it, because if, if they if they Extended only to mid-December, obviously the thinking is they're going to do an omnibus final spending package just before Christmas, or certainly before the end of the calendar year, which means they don't have much leverage. <laughs> you know, they still have to work with Democrats and it's, it's who hold the upper hand here because they control Congress. Whereas if they think if Republicans think they're going to take the majority in the midterm elections, you would think they'd have motivation to punt this thing into the new year and come back to an omnibus deal then where they can write these bills a lot more to their liking, not entirely, but, but with more leverage. So do they want to punt or are they willing to, to just get this over and done with in December? Where, where are Republicans right now? Yeah. So Senate uh, appropriations ranking member Richard Shelby uh, is really pushing for uh, a deal through a CR through mid-December, so an appropriations agreement could be reached in the lame duck, and you know give the new Congress a fresh start, uh, and you know get it done sooner than last year when it was not done until this this past March. When you look at Senate Republicans as a whole, you know Senator Rick Scott is pushing for the CR to go into the next Congress, where he believes you know Republicans will have control of both the Senate. And the House, which would give them more le- leverage, 
But talking to more of the rank and file members of the Republican Party, either they were supportive of you know the CR through December, so they could open the possibility of you know a lame duck omnibus, or didn't have an opinion on when it ended. We only found one other Republican senator of the I think it was eighteen that we talked to, who was supportive of Rick Scott's approach of pushing it to the next Congress. So it definitely looks like most Republicans are, you know, at least okay with the the CR through mid-December that would uh, allow negotiations and, you know, a possible uh, omnibus deal during the lame, lame duck session. All right. I was certainly struck in those conversations we had, like Aiden said, between the two of us, we talked to at least 18 Republicans. Republican senators, that's a little over a third of the conference, and by how many are on board with just getting it done in December. And I, I I didn't like think that most people were, you know, dismal about their election prospects, but obviously as of late, Democrats' fortunes have turned a little and it's a less clear that Republicans have a good shot at um, taking the majority in the Senate. So I this could be playing in some, but I think overwhelmingly the sentiment was just that Nobody likes the fact that they can't get appropriations bills done on time. They just want to get them done as soon as possible. And certainly they all want to support, you know, Shelby getting his final, you know, omnibus deal before he retires at the end of the Congress. Susan Collins, who's expected to take over for him as the top Republican next Congress, also wants to get it done and have a clean slate moving to the next Congress. So there's a lot of incentive to get it done. But I will say, with all that said, even though Rick Scott and Kevin Kramer are the only two that wanted to punt it to next Congress, if they do win in November, both chambers, that doesn't mean, you know, they couldn't uh, then start pushing when they come up against this December 16th deadline to have another CR that would go into the next Congress. So they could just also be taking a wait and see approach and then having that fight in December um, so there's still a possibility of punting to next Congress, even if they do ultimately pass a CR through December 16th, because Republicans could be resistant to a December funding deal and then push for a, another stopgap. That's a good point, too. Just because we do a stopgap now doesn't mean it's the final one. There's always the chance of another one. We've seen that happen before, too. Um, we should remind folks that the funding for the current fiscal year didn't get done until this past March, which is a half a year late. So these things can take time and we can we can see more yet more extensions of the more of these continuing resolutions. What what what's your gut instinct, guys, though? Uh, an omnibus by December or not? Uh, that's a tough question. I think it depends on what we see in the election. Uh, if Republicans do have do win the Senate and have a large, large majority of the House, I, I think they'd push it to next year. But if it's a, if the Democrats keep the Senate and there's a small House majority for Republicans, there'd definitely be a more incentive for them uh, to get it done uh, before the new Congress takes over. So uh, I think it, I think we'll, we'll have a better idea in November. Lindsay, you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think it depends on the election results for sure. I mean, but if I were just sitting here today not knowing the results, I, my gut tells me that they'll try to get it done in December. And, they're, you know, I, I put the chances that right now 60, 40, the 60% they get it done, 40% they don't get it done in December. But, you know, that's just my total guesswork at this point. Okay. I like those ratios. Sounds 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 pretty pretty accurate, I think. Or good enough for journalism work. Okay, we will see what happens, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Lindsay McPherson, and you, Aiden Quigley, for joining me. 
Thanks for having us again. Thanks for having us. Yep. And we'll see you next time.